When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Friday is here. Outkick 360 across the Outkick network, and that includes Florence, Alabama, Fox Sports Shoals, Muscle Shoals, Huntsville. We say hello to you. Hello to Knoxville, Fox Sports Knoxville. We're getting you ready for a great football weekend. With Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. We are live from the 6th and Peabody Studios in downtown Nashville, Tennessee, with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. We hope you are primed and ready for a great weekend. If you are not already signed up for FanDuel.com, well, why haven't you already? But FanDuel.com slash OK360 with a great offer for new users. It's GOAT versus GOAT. If either team scores a touchdown for new users Sunday, if either team scores a touchdown on Sunday night, you bet $5 to win $125. All that has to happen, Paul, are the Bucs or the Patriots score a touchdown in this game. It is free money. It's not like you bet the Bucs to score or the Pats. You get both teams in this bet. You bet $5 to win $125 for either team to score a touchdown on Sunday Night Football. FanDuel.com slash OK360. Translation, here is the free $125. Yes. You deposit $10 for your first deposit, and then... You bet five to win 125 on the opt-in there on that offer. FanDuel.com slash OK360. I am not selecting the Patriots to win outright as a home dog this week across the NFL. I do have a couple of underdog picks, though, if you'd like to uh, follow my lead here, Paul. I hit on two of three last week. I would like to hear yours. I'm going to get mine up here. Here here they are. Uh, Look. Denver is an underdog at home. Lamar Jackson hasn't practiced much all week. I would take Denver based on the injury report for Lamar Jackson as things go into the weekend and they get on their flight and go to mile high. This, this, is, a, this is a test for Denver that they haven't had at their 3-0 start, but this is also a banged-up Baltimore team, and they're banged up at quarterback. They've been resting him early in the season. Uh, the Broncos are playing well. Steady Teddy Bridgewater. I take the live dog at home, the Denver Broncos in a packed house at mile high. Also, underdog at home, the Minnesota Vikings hosting the Cleveland Browns. For the last couple of weeks, I have thought the Browns are for the taking. Uh, Minnesota's playing well. Their, their offense tops in the league. They don't throw deep, but they move the football down the field methodically, time of possession. This is a low-scoring affair. I would take the under, and I would take Minnesota to win outright. I like the Lions on the road against Chicago. I've been a believer in Justin Fields last week. I'm not falling for it again. And I do think that Detroit is playing, playing okay. Uh, they were close last week. Um, it was turned out to be a blowout against Green Bay. At How the are the end. Lions dogs in that game? They're the underdogs uh, at, on the road. Yeah, getting three. So yeah. Um, they're, 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 I, I'm totally with you on that and one. And Jared Goff, has been, he's been fine. He's been fine as the quarterback for Detroit. I would take Detroit on the road at Chicago. And give me the Cardinals. Look, I, the Cardinals have done nothing but say we are among the top teams in the league this year to start the season. The Rams are doing the same, 
but I'm looking at underdogs on the road, and Arizona is out to prove a point. They, they, they have played week one with a chip on their shoulder, and they've done the same week in and week out. The Vikings nearly got them. Um, I think this is one of those games where the Rams just got up for a big game against Tampa last week. They have to turn around and play a divisional foe that feels like this could be their year to knock them off the pedestal. I'm taking Arizona on the road straight up. Mm, I'm most strongly with you there on the lines. I like the Colts for getting one and a half at Miami. I think Matt Eberflus against Jacoby Brissett, a quarterback that he's very familiar with, mm -hmm. in a backup situation. The Colts are bad, but they're due. They're not, you know, bottom of the barrel bad like these other winless teams. And they have some some quality defensively. Um, I just think they're due to to break through. And uh, and Miami with Brissett. Um, I, I mean, I think Miami at quarterback generally is not not very good. I think the Colts can find a way. Uh, I see DeForest Buckner uh, sitting on top of Jacoby Brissett. There's something about the. I I can't help but have recency bias here. Um, the the banged up offensive line for Indy. The fact that they, they you know, Marlon Max asked to be traded. They've told him he can go and seek a trade. Naheem Hines is a gadget player. He's a good player. Just to, like I, uh, Jonathan Taylor is their bell cow, but they're going against a Miami defense that is very stout against the run, and they they make everything difficult. I'm and recency bias here because I've I've watched one full game with Miami, and that was the Patriots game. I watched a little bit of the second half, and then all of overtime against the Raiders last week. They don't make anything easy on you yards after catch. And I don't know if, after what I saw last week by the Colts, if Wentz is going to have any time. I doubt he feels any better this week than he did last week. We saw how he limped off the field and yeah, limped I, onto the field. I'm thinking a very defensive football oh, team sure. with the Colts maybe finding the end zone, helping themselves out. Where is this game? At Miami. In Miami. Okay. Um, no one's going to be picking the Colts. You're right. Maybe they are a live dog, but I, the, the, the Dolphins, man, I, I like the Dolphins. Brissette, Brissette earned a lot of respect from me last week with how he came off the bench and led that team on the road in Vegas. Good show. Um, he single-handedly got them to overtime and that, a lot of people overlooked the two point conversion play on that throw to the corner of the end zone. It was an excellent, I mean, he was leading that group down the field uh, against a good Vegas team. I, I, I wouldn't bet against the Miami here. What's the spread? You have it up in front of you? Three and a half, four points maybe? Yeah, three, uh, one and a half. Colts oh. getting one and a half. Oh, see, that's way too low. Yeah, and see, that's what I look for is weird spread games. Um, the, the other one that really bothers me is the Chargers game. Um, the Chargers, it's, it's down to minus three. It was minus three and a half at the start. Um, that's at the Chargers. It's Raiders at Chargers. That's going to be a pro Raiders crowd. I don't know the bearing that that has or, or anything, but that's a funky spread to me. I feel like the Raiders. Well, they're looking at it. The, the Raiders are, I mean, we, we've touched on this throughout the week. The car's thrown for the most yardage, 1,200 yards in three weeks. They have been opportunistic on defense. The Chargers are coming off of a, a high, winning on the road against Kansas City and return home against the divisional leader right now. They're getting points. With the Raiders, I know. That, that seems off. So when it's off, you go with the, 
<laughs> with a team that it's off four, right? So I would bet Chargers. Should, yeah, I I don't know. That I would game, bet Chargers. That game freaks me out. That, that, to me, is maybe the most intriguing game of the week. There's something about the uh, this. Because I, I feel like what I'm about to say is going to come back to bite me at season's end, or maybe by midseason if they continue this streak. There's something about the Raiders I'm just not buying. Well, it's I mean part of it at the heart of it is that they've uh, faltered at the end of the last uh, every season under Gruden, and so they're a lot better in the early season than they've been in the early season under Gruden so far. But they've been good in the early season under Gruden, generally speaking, and they falter late. Well, and I, and I feel, I mean, I always reference who you've won against, and we're, we're criticizing and the teams. Denver Broncos for, for winning against losers. And they're playing their schedule, and they've won two of those three on the road. More power to them. The Raiders have won against teams that won 10 or more games last year. No, you have to give the Raiders credit for what they've done so far. I mean, it's legit. They're legit so far. The question is, I think, and I would gather it's at the heart of your doubt, is can they sustain it? Yeah, and can can Carr keep up this pace? You know, they haven't had and their and I have liked full run Carr, game right? yeah. since we watched oh, yeah. Carr warm up here what? against the Titans a couple of years ago. I and like, we both came back and said, "Man, he throws the ball a lot better than I thought." Yeah, I I like Carr, um, and I've always loved the arm. Everything with him though is a struggle. Like it's a grind throughout to get the fourth quarter overtime, and then they go. I mean, they've won two overtime games. Again, they've won those games. But it's always a constant battle between good and bad and three and out and three and out and then a, a possession or two where you go get a field goal. I mean, it's, it's – uh, Sometimes it's, teams win that way. Yeah, though. and they're doing it. They're doing it. Uh, Saquon Barkley for fantasy players out there. 39 carries, 134 yards, and a touchdown through three games. I'm out on Saquon Nine Barkley. Nine passes I told for 56 you. yards. I warned you. Um, numbers are not great. Reconstructive surgery. Don't pin yourself surgery. on a running back a year removed from ACL. Coming back, and uh, he missed all the three preseason games. So the story was out this week about, you know, is he use, is September now the quote-unquote preseason to get back right? And his quote is, I hold myself to a high standard. I know this team holds me to a high standard. A lot of people hold me to a high standard. Like I always say, I set my own expectations. Right now, I've just got to keep working and keep growing and keep improving. I know what I'm coming off of. So he's pointing back to the patience element of this knee and this reconstructive surgery. His biggest play was a 41-yard play against Washington. And the, the question is, can they get more of a spark from him um, moving forward with this offense and with Jason Garrett calling plays? Well, I think there are two things at play here. Him coming back from the ACL, which I think maybe takes more than a month. I don't love a running back coming off an ACL. And then it, uh, the GM didn't make great choices on the offensive line. He had yeah, a great terrible. offensive line draft, and he chose the least good guy last year. Um, and it's just not as good an offensive line as you would like to have there to protect your, your prime pick at quarterback, which was controversial, and to, to make holes for your running back, who's the centerpiece of your team. That. He's going to have one of these breakout games where he looks like Barkley of rookie season, right? You would hope. Um, they're playing New Orleans this week. That's another live dog. I'm, I'm not betting the Giants in that game. But New Orleans has been very up and down, right? Good Jameis, bad Jameis, or uh, their, their defense has allowed some yards, and if their defense doesn't show up, they're not winning. They're, they're not outscoring anyone as much as they are stopping opposing offenses. This should be on paper. 
a game that the Saints handle and handle easily. But yeah. for some reason, I feel like, you know, Barkley's coming back into a, a mold that may be more reminiscent of what we might expect a healthy Saquon Barkley to be. And if Daniel Jones gets a run game, take some pressure off of him and allow him to run himself and also and not have to be the run game, right? then they could be cooking with something offensive. I think he's got to be a big piece of the run game himself, kind of like we saw here in Nashville. Uh, not that Derrick Henry wasn't doing plenty on his own, but you throw in 58 yards from, yeah. from Ryan Tannehill, and it really juices things up. And we've seen that Daniel Jones has uh, got a lot of juice in the run game. If he supplements Saquon Barkley with a couple of those runs, he's blazing fast. It's, it's shockingly fast, Daniel Jones. That could really give some juice to the Giants, who I just don't have a lot of faith no. in to do anything. It, I don't know. I, I mean, there have been a lot. Of, we've talked about this, and, and you gave the records of, of uh, the Giants and Jets hand in hand. <laughs> it feels like the simultaneous badness is at an all-time low or high. Oh, and six. High, if, yeah. You, yeah, high yeah, yeah. if you will. Depends on how you want to look at it. But it, simultaneous badness is – Super bad. Oh, and they've been combined outscored by over 100 points, I believe, through three weeks. Not a lot of hope going on there unless you're a, a big early draft fan. Cincinnati last night erased a two-touchdown deficit at halftime. Paul said really this good. at halftime, that the, the Bengals were going to come back and win over the Jags. I wanted them to win by uh, eight points. Evan McPherson uh, kicked the field goal instead. They won by three as time expires, a 35-yard chip shot. Uh, Joe Burrow put together a really nice performance. It was a slow go, a slog to begin. 25 of 32 passing at the end of the night. 348 yards, two touchdowns. Joe Mixon added another touchdown. That was a gift for fantasy players because he was down at the one. Then they called a touchdown back, I believe, that Burrow ran in. And then they on, on the replay of the same snap, they end up giving the ball again to Mixon. He finishes with 67 yards rushing, but a touchdown. Surprisingly, those reviews were super brisk. No, they weren't brisk at all. They, God, no. they take forever. I know. Forever. In the most obvious case cases as well. It's on just all this. not acceptable, and I don't know that the league considers it uh, uh, an urgent matter. But, I mean, it's tempting to flip away and see what else is going on and not make it back to see the touchdown. I'm, I'm, I'm a big uh, – uh, I did. That's what happened to me. Yeah. I, I read into body language. There was, a, there was a look that Burrow had on the sideline at the end of regulation where you just knew he was about to go lead a big drive. Was it an 11-play drive at the end of the game to set up the field goal? He's got a little moxie and a swagger to him right now, confidence – that uh, after his rookie season, overcoming the, the knee injury of his own, I, I like the direction that the offense is headed. If you missed the start of the show earlier this afternoon, I don't think they're some crazy great team. I think they're a playoff caliber team this year, wild card uh, fight, um, and a team that in a young nucleus they can build around. There's certainly a pass game there with Burrow and Chase. They have a run game with Mixon that they can lean on, and then their defense swarms. I, I'm high on Cincinnati. Not saying I think there's some team that's going to the AFC Championship game. But, Paul, they, they are a team that's building and then trending in the right direction. And what is a big year for Zach Taylor? And that offensive line isn't holding them back as badly as we suspected it might. That's right. Big games across college football kicking off tomorrow. 
Bobby Carpenter, outkicks college football analyst. He's about to join us. We're going to preview the biggest games across college football, SEC, Big Ten, Cincy, Notre Dame, and much, much more. Bobby Carpenter's next on Outkick 360. Previewing a great college football weekend as we broadcast from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer Old Smoky Moonshine with Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton, Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. And a part of that network, Bobby Carpenter, college football contributor and analyst for Outkick.com, of course, with ESPN as well, calling games and does an excellent job with the YouTube channel as well. Just follow Outkick there for all the college football analysis Bobby Carpenter joins us live across the Outkick Network. Bobby, hope you're doing well, man. Oh, I'm doing great, man. It's a uh, fantastic Friday. I guess in the in the northern part of the United States, it's finally feeling like it's starting to turn a little bit into fall. I know you guys get that a little in Nashville probably a yep. month later, but you can start to smell the leaves a little bit. And it finally gets to that point where it's like warm, but it's not hot anymore. Did your father, in fact, tell you when you were seven or eight playing football that it was a waste because the sport that would come to dominate the world was rollerball? Oh, I'm glad that you're on social media because <laughs> that came up the other day and I forget someone brought up like, Bobby, this is football, not rollerball. And I vividly remember having this discussion with my dad and my dad's a big movie guy. And so a lot of our time was spent like sitting on the couch, watching games, watching movies. And like, that's when we'd have some of our nice little conversations. And I remember watching, it was so violent. And it's like, Hey, he's like, this isn't real. It's a movie, but you know, these guys play, they play hard. This is life. And he goes in the future. He's like, by the time you're old enough to play, I was probably seven or eight years old. It's kind of a graphic movie for a younger, younger boy, <laughs> but he's like, there won't be football. He's like, that game will be over. He's like, the game of the future is going to be rollerball. And it'll be with nations against nations. And you've got James Conn, you know, skating around there, just craziness. And I'm thinking like, really? Like this, this is wild. And, you know, people like don't believe me when I tell them that. Cause my dad played 10 years in the NFL. And he's like, no, rollerball is the future. Not. And so he didn't have a problem. Like when I got rollerball to start skating, like he, he thought that was good. Cause that's ultimately where he thought the path would go. But then he also named, he has a, uh, got three brothers i'm the oldest but he named my younger brother jonathan who was khan's name in the movie that they're like chanting at the very end so it's definitely a true story and he thought rollerball was the wave of the future and maybe it still is maybe we just haven't gotten to that yeah. point yet what did he ultimately say about his failed prediction and are his stock tips more accurate oh listen like anybody who makes a bad bet or something like i didn't tell you that that's not what i didn't say that i'm like dad you may not remember all these things, you know, you're in your mid sixties. Now you've played, you know, in the NFL, you're hitting the head a lot, like all this stuff. You don't remember all the, the specific interactions. I'm like, but there are certain things that you told me in life that I could like be transported right to the moment when you said them. Cause I always wanted to be a football player. Like my dad, like it was great. Like when your hero is your father and he gets, he's doing something you've always wanted to do. And all your friends thought was cool. Like, and you told me that I was like, that was kind of a, kind of a crushing blow was a little bit interesting, like trying to figure out this is what I always wanted to be. And you're telling me now that rollerball is the way to go. Well, I better start skating then. Bobby Carpenter, I guess you can follow him on Twitter at bcarp3. And uh, of course, uh, follow along on the YouTube channel as well uh, for his latest uh, broadcast. You do that live. Do you stream that live, Bobby? 
We're working on getting that done. Okay. Been, uh, taping them thus far. Uh, working on getting the live stream done. I'm not quite to your guys' level <laughs> yet, so we've got some things to work through. It's all good. It's all good. It's great content nonetheless. Uh, look, there's there's Arkansas, Georgia, Saturday morning. Uh, we have Alabama, Ole Miss on Saturday afternoon. But among all the great games this week, which game, Bobby, do you think will have the greatest bearing at the end of the season on the college football playoff? think this Arkansas game could really tell us something I mean they're a pretty talented team they've got a couple of nice wins so if they get a win like you could start to see them throwing their hat in like I don't know if they're good enough to beat Bama but you know they start racking up wins all of a sudden it's like hey they've got a they've got a resume that's as good as anybody I think this old Miss game could be really close old Miss and Bama Lane Kiffin, man, he is a cocky dude. He's a great play caller, and he knows it. He's got a really good team. They play good defense. Watching them smoke Louisville to start the season, I'm like, this is more than just like a gimmicky offense that's going to throw the football around. They're physical up front. They play good defense. They can run the ball when they need it, and he's a really good play caller. You know, so those in the SEC, those two I think are probably going to be the big ones. The sneaky good game, I think, is Mm. UK-Florida because Kentucky's undefeated. You know, in Florida, obviously, you know, they, they already have their loss to Bama. They get a second loss. You start wondering, okay, could it be Kentucky that maybe challenges Georgia? I don't know. I don't think they're quite that level, but that's kind of a sneaky good one that's under the radar because Mark Stoops has really done a good job building it there. Have a good defense, and finally this year it seems like they have an offense that can maybe keep up. But I think the game for, like, historical context of college football, and I, I say this now because we live in the Twitterverse, reality TV, where – the most recent thing is always the best thing, you know, regardless of, you know, historical context, recency bias is real, but in terms of college, the college football playoff, which started back in 2014, there's never been a group of five school get in. There's been some that have been close and they've had resumes that are almost there, but you could always kind of pick them apart. And if there's a year that a group of five schools going to get in, it's probably going to be this year. And Cincinnati needed some help and they've kind of gotten it. But for me, it was always three keys or kind of four to get in. Number one, you have to go undefeated, obviously. Um, you know, number two, I think you have to have a lot of momentum coming in. Cincinnati playing Georgia the week, uh, the season before, playing them down to the wire at the Peach Bowl, you know, having a shot to win it. You could argue maybe even mismanaging it at the end. So people understand, like, they can play with some of these elite schools and schools that have a lot of talent. And then you need to have a signature win. And a lot of times for those schools, they never get to play one of the big boys in a year where it's all lining up. This year, you know, they played Indiana. Indiana's probably going to be a more of an average team, but they've got Notre Dame, a top 10 program, blue blood, been in two of the last three college football playoffs. And maybe they're not quite as good as they've been in past years. But still, if Cincinnati goes and takes care of business this weekend, they've checked all the boxes. Now they needed some help, but if you look, the ACC, I'm not sure they're going to have anybody to provide. You know, but the Big Ten, Ohio State's lost. You know, maybe Penn State can make a run. Maybe Ohio State can kind of right the ship. I mean, Iowa, I'm not really sure if they're good enough to kind of maintain the whole time. And then in the Big 12, like Oklahoma's undefeated. But I think people are kind of waited with bait, waiting with bated breath for them to finally yep. lose a game as their offense really isn't kicking into gear like we thought. So this kind of all aligns, like historically, if it's going to happen, gentlemen, and Cincinnati wins, like this has to be the year because – I don't foresee another scenario that could align any better. So historically, I'm going to be locked on that game just to see if Cincinnati does win, 
what this is going to look like when the ranking short shows start coming out. Well, let's dive into this matchup a little bit, Bobby, because Cincinnati's favored. Uh, it's going to be a close game against Notre Dame on, on uh, this weekend. And they, since he has speed on the perimeter, is that what this game comes down to, or is this game about running the football? Uh, I think it's going to be a little of both. Notre Dame wants to kind of line up, you know, bully a little bit. The fact that you know they're not really sure whether Drew Pine, whether it's you know Jack Cohn, either one of those quarterbacks, like I don't think there's a big difference in it. You know, they've been able to run the football pretty well, but it's going to come down. Cincinnati does have speed on the perimeter. They've got two 10, 500 meter guys, so they've got some guys that can stretch you. Uh, Ford, their running back, is a Bama transfer, and so. People are always like, why is that important? I'm like, because Nick Saban doesn't recruit bad players, all right? It may not work out for him there, or they may not be, like, quite as good to be a starter, but if you're good enough to get offered to go to Alabama, you're good enough to just to go just about anywhere in the country, at least perceptionally. So he's a really talented running back. They've got Desmond Ritter, their quarterback, who's fifth-year senior, potential first-round draft pick. He's athletic. He's smart. He sees the field well. So they check all the boxes. The, the issue for Notre Dame and Cincinnati, it's going to come down to the lines. Cincinnati's defensive line is really good. I don't think they'll have a problem up front being able to take care of you know, Notre Dame and slow down their run game. You know, but Cincinnati, the, the one area they've been a little weaker this year is their offensive line. And Notre Dame, the last two weeks against Purdue and then against Wisconsin, has played a lot better. And I never thought I'd see a day where Wisconsin would line up on a fourth and one, and I would feel nervous about them not converting. And that happened. I mean, Notre Dame was stuffing it up in there. They were handling their run. They are getting pressure on Graham Mertz. So they've played a lot better the last two weeks than they did against uh, Toledo and Florida State in the first two. So I think that, you know, they're hitting their stride at the right time. Cincinnati's a slight favorite because people are like, I want to see the underdog win. Like Cincinnati, they're, they're not the underdog. They're favored by Vegas. And those guys get it right more than they get it wrong. But Cincinnati's going to have to try to find a way to handle that Notre Dame front and a lot of the blitzes and pressures they're going to bring. Bobby Carpenter, our guest, uh, you brought up Wisconsin, outscored 31-3 to in the fourth quarter last week. Meanwhile, they face a Michigan team tomorrow that n no one's happy or pleased with the way they played in the second half offensively against Rutgers. What do the Wolverines have to do to, to go to Madison and win that game against the Badgers? Well, this, I mean, this is basically Wisconsin's season here, and they know it. You know, they've got a non-conference loss to Notre Dame, but they lost to Penn State to open the season. They've had, they had two long, three long drives to get into the red zone against uh, Penn State, didn't get any points. You know, turnovers, turnover on downs, you know, blocked field goals. Similar things happened against Notre Dame. They'd start to cross the 30 into the 25, get bogged down, couldn't convert on a third or fourth down. So they've moved the football some. Uh, but for Michigan, like, they've been rushing for close to 300 yards a game. Like Jim Harbaugh, he's trying to go back to the Stanford days. We're just going to line up, pound it, get in multiple tight ends and do that. And they've had success. And really the only team they played was Washington, who was beat up. All of a sudden, they played Rutgers, and Greg Schiano's tough, man. Like, they may not be the ultra-talented team, but they've installed some toughness, some pride. They held them to a buck 12 rushing, shut them out in the second half. You know, Cade McNamara, for the first time, their quarterback actually had more passing yards than his team had rushing yards, and that had not happened to that point this season. So Wisconsin's got to find a way to shut down that run game. They average about 85 a game on defense. I think they can do that, have to pressure McNamara, which I think they can. It's going to come down to the fact of Graham Mertz, the quarterback that they picked over Jack Cohn, who transferred to Notre Dame. He's got to look like the guy that opened the season last year. He's got six interceptions. He cannot continue to turn the football over. Nobody wins if they give the football away, and that is what Wisconsin has been doing. So they've got to find a way to remedy that if they want to try to right their season against Michigan at Camp Randall. 
I saw you comment on uh, something about Sam Pittman's coaching style and the positive reinforcement approach as opposed to the fear approach. I'm wondering how much you think that's changed, maybe percentage-wise, from your dad's day to your day to now. How much is there positive reinforcement as opposed to fear from coaches? I think that it used to be more popular, obviously, to just run down your players, yell at them, you know, and degrade them some. And I I joke all the time. I played for Mike Zimmer in Dallas, who's the head coach for Minnesota. And, you know, he had a term that referred to not being very smart and then your mom and some physical acts that she may be involved in. And he told us that, you know, all that together, when I'm saying that to you and calling you that, he's like, that's a term of endearment. And they would just throw it out. So, like, you'd be, I'm like, I I don't know what's going on. I'm a little confused here, but sure, I'll I'll buy it. Um, Because he, he really meant it. He meant like that he cared about you. And there, I think there's always been coaches that have cared about players and related to them really well. I just think now with the way society is, you have got to love on guys. And, and I say that not meaning like to be soft, but like Luke Fickle, he's a firm coach, but you know that he cares about you. And when that's the case, like you're willing to go play harder for someone. That's what Sam Pittman was saying. Like, hey, do you think you're going to play harder because you know, you're, you're scared, like you're scared to make a mistake or you're going to play harder because you know this coach has invested time and energy into you and you just don't want to disappoint them. And uh, I, I, I go back, like, you know, another movie I watched with my dad when I was probably a little too young to watch Braveheart when it came out. And, you know, and they're sitting there talking and you guys are old enough to have seen the movie and remember oh, yeah. it. And, you know, Robert the Bruce is like, I fight, men fight for me because if they don't, I throw them off their land. I starve their wives and children. Men fight for him for something else. And you can't even see it. You can't even taste, touch it. And that's well, the way the great coaches are. And even Saban, to an extent, we get on him for being all surly. And, you know, he's rough with the media. And he's, he's hard on his guys. He's really hard on his coaches. But I think deep down, a lot of players know that he has their, their best interest at heart. And he's going to grind on them. But also there's times where, like, he'll come up in a private moment. And this is what Parcells was great at. And, like, give you a little nugget. Just something something like you're doing a good job at this or you're doing that. How's, how's mom doing? You know, they'd be really proud of you right now with how you're practicing. Whatever it is, they'll give you a little nugget to bring you back. And so you're playing for those guys because you want to try to get more of those. You want to try to go get it. And I think that's what Sam Pittman has embodied because I, I don't know how you turn around Arkansas as quickly as he has done because there's no way that he brought in this massive infusion of talent and they were one of they were the worst team in the SEC and maybe in college football almost in some years there when they were getting blown out by everybody and losing to one double A schools. So now they're what 18, 18 and a half point dogs to Georgia, but everybody's saying, well, don't be surprised. <laughs> don't be surprised. So Vegas is clearly going to be surprised. <laughs> what, what, what do you think the chances are here? I don't think they have the horses to win, but. I mean, do you think that there's that like there's that much more talent on Georgia than there is Texas A&M? I mean, maybe a slightly more, but they looked really good against A&M. Like, here's the one thing I know: if they're able to score points against Georgia, which will be tough, very very tough. That, that's a big if. The Georgia Bulldogs defense is fantastic. I question Georgia's offense and JT Daniels. I know he's back. Their receiving core, you know, they, they still have some issues there. I just don't think that this is a high-powered offense. So if you can find a way to score some points, I'm saying if, and I understand qualifying, that's going to be very difficult. I think you could put them in an uncomfortable situation where if they're playing from behind, they're not going to feel real good about it. 
And that's when you can begin to force some turnovers and force some big plays. Well, we're on the topic of big spreads. It seems to be wishful thinking week, week down here. And we get the same thing with Ole Miss. This is 14-point spread. But a lot of people really feel like Ole Miss has a chance to knock off Bama. You know, and it's, the line doesn't tell you that. But just watching, watching Ole Miss, they've got a quarterback that's athletic that can move around. That's the thing. If you're going to beat Saban, You've got to have big plays, and you have to have a quarterback. If you go back and look at it, I believe, yeah, the the, last, the previous teams that have beaten, you know, Nick in Tuscaloosa, you've got, you know, Johnny Manziel, he's winning the Heisman. You've got Cam Newton, he's winning the Heisman. Joe Burrow, he's winning the Heisman Trophy. And because they've had guys that have been able to make plays off schedule, they've been able to get late in the down because that's when some of that, that coaching breaks down. Guys have to go be players, and, you're, and they're great players, but their scheme kind of gives it – gives it up a little bit, and Lane Kiffin understands how to attack Nick Saban. I don't know if they can win. I am not. I wouldn't go out there, but I would definitely take the points with Ole Miss because their defense, I think, is better than what people are giving them credit for as well. It sounds crazy, Paul. Uh, Bobby, I think you'll agree. 14 points is uh, – I mean, that is, that, that's showing some respect to Ole Miss in this game uh, on this spread because – uh, other than Alabama's 52-46 to 46 win over Florida in the SEC championship game, their closest game on their way to that 2020 national championship was a 63-48 win over Ole Miss, a game that was tied at 42 in the fourth quarter. If we get anything close to that, this game has lived up to expectation. And I think that's what people are referencing is the fact that we watched this before. I'm a big believer. When you're seeing something that's like a cataclysmic change, a shift, like someone's going to go up and challenge Bama, like I need to have witnessed that happening a little bit, knowing that you have the, the skill set, the players to be able to get it done, and then the scheme. And also the fact that there's a little bit of an intimidation factor in coaching against Nick Saban. And, yeah. you know, Lane might be the cockiest guy, cockiest coach in America. I, I love that about him. He's, he's begun to own it a little bit. You know, he understands that, but you watched it happen last year. And so not that, you know, it's going to be a, a massively high-scoring game, but I do know this, that Ole Miss will be able to keep pace scoring the football. It's not like they're going to just get overwhelmed. And so it comes down to a matter of, can you get some stops? Could you force a turnover? Do you fake a punt? Do you have a surprise onside? Do you find a way to kind of steal a possession so that you can get control of the game? What's an underrated game we should be paying attention to tomorrow? Oh, goodness. I mean, I like that Florida-Kentucky game. And that's one, I mean, and maybe it's because I'm kind of a Mark Stoops fan and Kentucky gets really no respect uh, in the SEC East. But, you know, I, I, Florida, is, I think, is going to be up against it a little bit. You know, they, don't, they can't afford a second conference loss if they want to try to match Georgia and have a chance, you know, to be able to represent uh, the East in the championship there. So I think that might be a little bit of an underrated game. I said their offense is better than what it's been in the past. And Stoops has had that defense playing you know, at a pretty high level for a while. Um, you know, so I would kind of lean on that, that one as well. You know, and I think Ohio State Rutgers might end up being better than what people thought, at least for a while, because Greg Schiano, he's a good coach, man. He, I don't think he has the horses there, but they're going to play tough. They're going to play really hard. I think they're going to make them try to, you know, pound the football and, and challenge their manhood a little bit. So I think that could be a better game deeper into the game than what people are probably probably thinking. Hey, and I, I mentioned tomorrow, but tonight, Iowa and Maryland, um, two 4 no teams. Is, is this a week where Maryland can pull the, the, the win over the, the top team in the country? I'm glad you brought that up because it completely slipped my mind. The Friday night game, like, with high school football, those things are kind of in my head. So that kind of slid right through there. 
But they say like styles make fights. And this is two contrasting styles now. You know, you have Iowa who everybody knows what they're going to do. Defensively, they're very simple. They line up. They try to get after you, you know, smash you in the mouth, play solid defense on the back end, you know, and force some turnovers, which they've done this year. I believe, I was talking to Chuck Long yesterday, I think half of their points are, are have come off of turnovers, either, whether it's a pick six or setting up a short field. And so the question then is, is their offense, is Petrus their quarterback, is he good enough to make some plays over the top? Will they be able to run the ball if they can't get the turnovers and, and drive it 85, 90 yards to be able to get something done? Because that's where they are. Maryland, conversely, with uh, Tua's brother, Leah, uh, Leah they, uh, they want to spread the ball over the place. And Mike Loxley, like, he's recruited at a pretty high level. You know, people have talked that they may have, like, the second best receiving core in the Big Ten to Ohio State. And so they're going to try to push the ball. They're going to try to push tempo and try to get this into a, you know, a 30s to 40s point game. And if they can do that, Iowa, I think, is toast. And so it's a matter of who can impose their will you want it, can they keep it slowed down? Can they make it a defensive running game? Or will Maryland be able to hit some of those big plays over the top? And if they do that, they'll be 5-0 and with a victory yeah. over the you know, fifth-ranked team. You'd have to imagine that they're jumping up into the mid-teens at that point in time. Maryland averaging over 500 yards of total offense per game. Meanwhile, Iowa is always known for those ball-hawking safeties. Uh, eager to watch that matchup for sure. Uh, Bobby, always great. Are, are you on a call this weekend? No, I'm off this week. Okay. I'm going to get to enjoy the yeah. uh, enjoy the family, relax a little bit. I'm I'm pumped to be able to kind of there's some there's some good games on this week, and it's nice to kind of relax and not be in full scramble mode watching games on in lounges and on planes and everything else. So absolutely, it's, it's nice to kind of sit back, relax, and and get prepared for my kids' games as well on Sunday morning. Well, help, and thank you for helping us get prepared for these games. Always great. We love your work, and uh, we'll continue to read your work and watch on YouTube throughout Kick. Enjoy. Thanks, gentlemen. Anytime. Bobby Carpenter has been our guest. Follow him on Twitter at bcarp3. And again, uh, go subscribe to the College Football Channel at Outkick on YouTube. Coming up, we will dive into a game of interest here locally. Nationally, Paul, not so much in the NFL. Titans and Jets, our early preview of this matchup for the Titans to go pick up a third win this season and uh, start the season three and one. That is straight ahead, plus the VolQuest Power Hour with Brent Hubs and Austin Price. We'll preview Tennessee and Missouri, and uh, we'll find out if Chad is alive. Day one of the bachelor party in Scottsdale. He is scheduled to be with us, Paul, in 45 minutes. I hiking. wonder if it's going to be poolside. Will he have the sunglasses? Will he be shirtless? We don't know. Hiking we will find and out hydration. Together. Oh, today the is things. the hiking day. Hiking That's right. Hiking and hydration. That's all straight ahead on Outkick 360. You can follow the show on Twitter at Outkick360. Shout out to TJ and Jesse for making the show happen today. Nice Dylan, boys. Dylan, always getting it done. Uh, Dylan Taylor, the great production assistant. Uh, David Reed, chairman of the board. Becca Risley, Sleepy Danny, the cast of thousands that make it happen across the Outkick network. We're going to check in with uh, one of the thousands, Chad Withrow, coming up in uh, about 45 minutes uh, in Scottsdale. Uh, as we check in the early afternoon before he hikes Camelback Mountain. So <laughs> that is, uh, that's straight ahead. Uh, also coming up this weekend, Titans and Jets. It is time for the stat-stuffing game of the week if you're the Tennessee Titans. If you're Harold Landry, for instance, if you are um, a, a corner looking for a bonus on a certain amount of interceptions on the season, uh, look, they, these stats count. It is time to go get and earn some bonus money. That's how I would approach this because – 
This is a gift. Take advantage of it if you're the Titans locker room. That that would be my mantra. That's my mindset this week against the bad Jets. It's time for takeaways to start matching the giveaways. How many how many times over the years, recent in the last decade, have the Titans been the Jets this week? Where it's like you you need a get right week. You need to face a team that's going to allow you to get the juices flowing again, get you back into rhythm, jolt you, give you a little boost of energy. The Titans have been this team in years past with Wizen Hunt and in some cases Malarkey. Uh, now it's, it's time for the Titans yep. to reap the rewards of being where they are right Too now. Too many times. And here's where it starts for me. The, the Jets can't run. The Jets are uh, – look, the Jets don't play offense. They're, they're 30th overall on offense, 29th rushing, 30th passing. But they're running for 80 yards a game. Mm. So you stop them from running. You make them throw. You attack Zach Wilson, who's been sacked 15 times in three games. It's five sacks a game. So go get your five sacks. Strip sacks. Force some turnovers. Um, There are going to be chances for the corners to make plays on the ball, you would hope. Look, they're playing a lot of man. So you're not seeing the ball coming so much in man. Interceptions are harder in man than zone. Maybe you're playing a little bit of zone here where you face the ball. But if the the pass rushers are disruptive, that creates chances, A, for turnovers in the backfield, and then, B, for for interceptions because the quarterback is off schedule, off timing, maybe forcing some things and doing the like. And um, he's thrown, Zach Wilson, uh, seven interceptions. So there are clearly chances at turnovers here. Five sacks, uh, 15 sacks. Seven interceptions, clearly chances at big defensive plays, and I think that's where the Titans really need to reform what they've been doing. Uh, pass rush has been good, but not as many sacks as you'd like. A lot better than it's been. Yep. But here you can get right on that, and you can start to turn the ball over. You don't want to hear any more about David Quesenberry leading the team in forced fumbles. Force some fumbles get some takeaways, put the offense on the porch for some easy scores, and have an easy time of it that you've been harping on all week. Have an easy time of it this weekend. Don't leave any doubt into it. Don't put it on the leg of Randy Bullock. Um, you know, win this thing by double digits. Make it so Derrick Henry doesn't have to play the last couple series. Um, and make it so, you know, Nick Westbrook-Akina can have a big day and, yeah. and you're not talking about Julio Jones and, and A.J. Brown not playing. If if the Titans truly take advantage of the next two weeks on the schedule, Paul, what will happen is this Titans defense, which has been good to begin the season, they will be, in my mind, if they take care of what they should, they'll be overrated by the time week six rolls around when they face – Buffalo and Kansas City in back-to-back games. And I you're could, not talking about, like, in, in the general populace, you're talking about in the stat sheet. In the stat sheet. Rated. And in they're the 15th right now, which is about right. But if they, if they handle their business, yeah, they'll be a top-10-ranked defense against the, those top offenses. And that will be, you know, the NFL countdown on ESPN, uh, Monday Night Football preview. All, that will be the topic. Will be Vrabel's top defense against the top offense from Buffalo – top offense from Kansas City, um, and, and that's that's great. But that's, to me, best-case scenario off of these two weeks against two offenses that the Titans should go out and dominate. And they're 12th against the run, 26th against the pass. Generally, if you're, if you're pretty good against one, the yards show up in the other, but they could tamp both of those down, uh, particularly I, I, against the Jets, who are just miserable across the board offensively. Um, uh, also, the... Uh, 
let's see Josh Reynolds show up on Sunday, or as you called him yesterday, Jody Reynolds. Yes, uh, the explosive Jody Reynolds. <laughs> uh, look, I, just to be clear, I did not forget his name. I committed a typographical <laughs> error in the, in the glare. I, I, I mean, both would be bad, but forgetting his name would be really bad. I did not forget his name. Uh, I made a type. Jody. <laughs> Jody Reynolds. And if he earns his name back. <laughs> it's like a Dory or Adderay. <laughs> on a good day. No, those are spelled the same. Just if, pronounced if it. On a good day, it's a Dory. On a bad day, he's Adderay. Yeah, people were having a lot of fun with me. Somebody, oh, David, <laughs> David sent it to me during the show. He said, uh, you have Jody Reynolds in one of your tweets. I said, yeah, it's been out so long and so much fun has been made of it. It's too late for me to take it down. You just have to go you with it at this point, yeah, right? If you don't catch that in the first 10, 15 minutes, you don't have the option of going and taking it off. There are some Sorry, who are Josh. calling this game for the Tennessee Vols the biggest game for Josh Heifel to prove a point and send a message against Missouri. He's only played four games. VolQuest Power Hour next on Outkick 360.